Hello, you are listening to Something to Hold On To, episode number 60, U.S. Marine Soldier Nigel Olson. This is Carrie Pike, creator of Carrie Bears. Thanks for listening today. Enjoy this episode. Hello, thank you for joining. I have Kim and Todd Olson here with me today, and I am excited for you to listen to their story. There are so many tender and wonderful things that they will share. So I'm just going to start it off. And all right, you two, you have lots of kids. Yes, we do. We have a combined family. We have 10. 10 children, five girls, five boys. Well, that's a perfect number. I thought so. I worked that out really well. Yeah, you planned it. Yes. <laughs> 10 kids. That is that is beautiful. And together, I love it. And you have sadly had some loss in your life. Yes, we have. And not, I mean, 11 years ago, but then also longer than that. Yes, yes. Tell when me. I was 31 years old. My husband, who was 36, was in the car with my two youngest boys, and they were broadsided. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was. They think the driver was going about 80 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone. So back then we didn't do seat belts very often. We didn't even have them in the back seats. Right, you could just roam around. Yeah. (laughs) So my four year old was in the back seat. My 21 month old was in the front seat. So the crash um, was so intense that it killed my four year old right away and my 36-year-old husband. And my 21-month-old was not breathing. But the police officer rushed him. He was there just within minutes because he was just down the street and gave him CPR. Found him underneath the dashboard of the car. What? Yeah, he was just stuck under there. Oh my goodness. And his heart stopped three times on the way to the hospital. Um, and they told me because of his blood gases that the oxygen was not making it to his heart and his brain that he might have brain damage. So I still tease him to this day. He's now <laughs> 38 years old. When he's not thinking straight, you're yeah. like, hey. <laughs> I think your brain damage finally went away about the time oh. you were 26. <laughs> well, yeah. But Boys. he's happy and married, has a little girl, so... Does he have any recollection of that? I wouldn't think so. But no, he does not. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Uh, it, I four-year-old and your husband. Yes. Yeah. I didn't think I would ever be able to function again. My brain was just on, I don't know, numb. That's where I was at. Um, it was just difficult to, you know, stay moving and going because I still had four children. And... It was hard. It was a very hard time. There was so much thrust on me that I wasn't prepared for at 31. Um, Yes, that's so young. You know, just selling the house and the bills and all of the things and having to buy a new car. Um, I just, it was a life experience I wasn't really ready for, but I pushed through and, Mm. and survived it. That's probably a good word, survived. Survived. <laughs> You're still here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank heavens. I can't imagine. So, did someone call you? Did someone come tell you? I mean, how would, how did you find out? Well, interesting. My husband had gone back to Massachusetts for a week for a convention. Yeah. During that time, everything that could wrong went wrong. So one of those things was that my car broke down. And it was raining, and I was coming home from the grocery store, and I had my three little ones. So I had my five-year-old and my four-year-old hold my pockets of my pants while I carried the groceries, and my 21-month-old trying to get home in the rain. And a wonderful man. You were walking? Yes, because my car broke down. Oh, my So this wonderful man stopped, and in those days, we just got in with him. (laughs) People were safer. No, they yes. weren't. But you just did it because yeah. that was kind. And, and, that, and we said, thank you. And he took us home. And then I called, uh, you know, a mechanic's office. And they came and towed the car. So when my husband got home, 
then we went down to pick up the car. Yeah. So I was in the car. Um, I had my five-year-old with me, and he had the two little boys with him, and they were following me home to make sure that the car didn't break down again because they couldn't find anything wrong with it. So I was ahead of him. Oh, my goodness. So um, it was Riverdale Road I got off on, and I went home. I was only a few blocks away, and I waited, and no one came. And I said to my little five-year-old, wonder where your dad is. Where'd he stop? She said, well, I think he was in an accident because I saw a lot of smoke. And I was, what? So I turned around and I went back up to Riverdale Road and it was covered with police officers and ambulances and, and they just stopped me and said, we're gonna take you back home and then we'll take you to the hospital. So I remember up there, I looked over and there was an ambulance and it had a man laying there not being attended. And my mind did not connect that that was my husband laying there. Oh my goodness. And I guess my little four-year-old had been ejected through a back window. Mm -hmm. And then of course, they found Quinn, the 21 month old, um, under the dashboard. We actually were able to um, reunite with that police officer after 37 years. Wow. Um, And he's retired, and my son and he were able to see each other again and reconnect and reunite. And oh gosh, it was such a special, special moment for us and for our family. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine that whole scenario. I mean, it just seems that's what happens in the movies. It doesn't happen to you, you know? Yeah, it happens to someone, someone else. else. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So I oh was my goodness. Single mom, four kids. I sold my house in Riverdale and I moved closer to my family and moved into Orem. Okay. So we we were living there when I met Todd how grateful she is for you. I can just tell. I knew that the second I saw you (laughs) too. We've made a pretty good team over the years. We've been married 34 years now. 34 years. And you came with five of your own. Mm -hmm. Four. Four of your own. Four. Four. So we had eight to start with between the ages of three and 15. All under the same roof. What? Yes. Yeah, so it's you a are gallon of milk every time we sat down. Oh yeah, at least. And the we had two three year olds and two seven year olds and anyway. Um, I used to worry about how we were going to pay for McDonald's. Yes, it was expensive. Yeah. Right, even the dollar menu. We yeah. don't have that many. That's right. <gasps> they didn't have the dollar menu. Oh, they didn't. <laughs> You're right. But it was like fifty dollars to go to McDonald's or something. It was like, oh, how that are we going to do this? It's crazy yeah but it was fun because people would count as we went somewhere they were counting all those kids and a lot of his girls looked more like me really that's so interesting and you know so we'd show them a picture of the family and nobody ever got whose was whose which was kind of fun that is I think that's beautiful so by yeah. the time I got the two three-year-olds in school we had another baby <laughs> Good for you. Yes. I love it. He was everybody's little brother. I mean, it was... (laughs) Everybody. He was like the... Yeah. We didn't think he would ever learn to talk or walk because somebody was carrying him. All he had to do was point. They'd get him what he wanted. Um, He was very loved. He was very loved. (laughs) So... That's wonderful. And then you had one more. No, just the one. Just the one. Just the one together. Oh, Mm -hmm. my gosh. Just that. The blending of all of it. Yes. What a sweet thing. What a beautiful family. Yes. Yes. So you got to remember what we said. We had eight living kids because one had already passed. That would have been number nine. That's true. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and then that's true. Nigel was number ten. Nigel was number ten. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And that little guy was always a patriot. Always. You're Nigel. Yes. Um, he made me put a flagpole up in the backyard when he was three years old. 
people who had raised and lowered the flag. He would, was he a Boy Scout? Oh yes, he yeah. had his Eagle Scout when he was, oh. well he was qualified at 13, but there's a time, Yeah, they, so he yeah. got it when he was 14. But he was also a member of the Civil Air Patrol. Um, he just, military everything, every Halloween I had to make him a new military Halloween costume. <laughs> That's so. kind of rare, actually, don't you think? I mean, your other kids weren't that patriotic, probably. No. Uh-uh. Right? No. There was a fire in him for America. There was. And he would be a regular at the library. He, I swear he checked out every military strategy book. Um, just everything he'd get his hands on. And he read it and read it. And, you know, his... I mean, he just knew it so well. There are a couple of jokes about when he was in Afghanistan. Yeah. Because he graduated from high school, from Mountain View High School in 2007. And he graduated from Marine Boot Camp January of 2008. He enlisted right out of high school. He did. Yeah. He was, that was, that was his mission. This is what he was going to do. And then they got called up in 2009. But he's one of his sergeants used to look through the manuals and try and stump him. Really? Yeah. Because he knew so much. Yeah, and he never could. So he he just knew. I mean, he loved studying it. It was and thrilling to him. I mean, he loved everything about the military. Probably not everything, but he he found his place. Let's put it that way. That was his path. That was his yeah purpose that he was yeah. Ah. So he, from the time he was little, he mm-hmm. loved it. And then, so when he was a senior in high school, did he do something also? Or did he just enlist right after high school? He list, enlisted right after high school. Yeah, right after. And then was called up a year after that. Mm-hmm. And how long was he in Afghanistan? They got into country in October of 2009. And then his life was taken by an IED on March 4th. Um, 2010. So he wasn't there that long. No, his company came back in May. Mm-hmm. So he was short a couple months. In fact, the first kid that was killed three days before Nigel, the first to be killed in that battalion, uh, <clears throat> he graduated Mountain View High School and signed up for the Marine Corps a week after he joined or you know graduated high school. And uh, he was a year younger than Nigel. So both of them graduated Mountain View High School. Carlos and died March 1st, and I remember driving to work and listening to the radio and hearing that Carlos had died, and I knew that he was in Nigel's company, and I had to pull over and just cry, and I had to call Todd, and we had planned to go to his funeral. But instead, we were in Dover, Delaware, watching our son's body return. Oh my goodness. To the United States. That was really fast. I mean, right after Carlos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three days. Three days. So. And and such, it seems like not a coincidence, but a coincidence. The same high school, mm-hmm. the same area. Yeah. The same company. Yeah. Yeah. They were in different um, platoons, but they both were killed by IEDs. Oh, how did you feel about him? Okay, I want to go back to Dover in a minute because that is a sweet thing, but, um, or tender. <laughs> it's not so sweet, but it's tender. Tell me how you felt as a mom with him going into the service and dad. Like, well, um, it was like stopping a freight train. <laughs> you knew he was going to so do it. He was going to do it no matter what, no yeah. matter what anyone said to him. So my choice as his mom was to fight with him or to support him. And my choice was to support him 100%. Yeah. And I didn't want him to join. You didn't? No, I knew when he joined that that was going to be kind of maybe a death sentence for him. Yeah. And it proved to be true. Yeah. That, you know, several years later, he was he was gone. He was killed. But uh, <clears throat> I was at work that one day. I was a charge nurse over at the specialty hospital, Utah Valley Specialty Hospital. And... Uh, he called me, he said, Dad, the, the recruiters wanted me to go up to Salt Lake and see if I could pass the physical. And I said,
said, don't you sign anything. And if I could have gotten off work, I'd have gone up there. But I couldn't, you know, charge a nurse couldn't get anybody to cover my shift. And, and uh, <clears throat> he came home and he had enlisted. He signed. Mm-hmm. Even though you said don't sign anything. <laughs> like I said, he's supposed to be the head. He <laughs> was going to do tight. this. Yes, yes. That, I mean, that, you know, because, I mean, there's a war going on mm-hmm. over there. And, you know, anytime something else could happen. So if they're called up, like you said, it could be, you never know. But, you know, I, I think too, and you never know anyway, but. When you're putting yourself into that situation, it could be any sooner. I don't know. Yeah. So well, that would brother, be my worry. His okay. brother uh, told me later, he said, hey, Nigel told me, this is Quinn that was in the accident, um, I'm going to the most dangerous place in Afghanistan, but don't tell mom. Oh, goodness. Of course not. So, yes. Well, he was... Uh, what was his specialty? What did he do? Or what was he? He was infantry, okay. and he was recon. Of course. So he and was, was frontline. Sensitive site exploitation, SSC person. So he did the fingerprinting. Yeah, tell me what that is. Yeah. The documenting, the escorting of prisoners. Um, he did the exploration of the crime scene. Yeah, bomb making. Was, where there was bomb making, he'd go in there and have to take inventory, fingerprint, you know, mm-hmm. question. Wow. And when the commander went spoke to one of the village leaders, he'd actually go into the house with the commander and, and you know, you know assess. search it over, assess. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, the situation. That's fascinating and dangerous. Well, and he was... <laughs> I feel like... He took a long, a week-long course to get this billet. Um, and he was the most junior Marine in the class but he did the best, and he, he got that. So we didn't know about it, because he didn't tell us. We didn't know about even that until a year after he was gone. And then somebody... Really? Yeah, somebody wrote us a letter that said, as you know, he was the SSE Marine, and I'm like, no, we didn't we know Tell that. us more, tell us more. Yeah, so we learned more, because he, he was very tight-lipped about what he did and where they were and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. He was amazing to call me almost every week he did he did there was one satellite phone and you had to find a place where you could get a signal and then it was um had to be used by everybody so but he was really really good so he called me the first week of february the second week of february i didn't get a call mm-hmm. and the third week of february i didn't get a call mm-hmm. and i was starting to get really anxious finally the last day of february he called me yeah it was a Saturday morning and you know the first thing I do is do the mom thing where have you been why haven't you called me yes yes and he said mom we've been on missions back-to-back missions and the phone has not been available and I you know we we had a great conversation we did it lasted almost an hour which was amazing because that never happened because we always get disconnected or something and uh, I'm so grateful I had a chance to tell him how much I loved him, how proud of him I was. And then at the end of the conversation, I said, will you make sure you call me? Because um, I don't want to hear from Germany that something's happened to you. And his prophetic words were, Mom, if anything happens to me, they will come to you in person. And wow. five days later... Five days later. Five days later, they came. You know, we regret to inform you. Words that, I mean, they don't really have to say anything when they show up. You know. In their uniforms, and you know there's no other reason for them to be there. Oh. Um, So, I got that news that came to my workplace, and then we went down. They came to your work? Yes. Where you're working. They had tried to get a hold of us at home, but we had both left for work. By the time they sat in front of our house for about three hours, we're hoping somebody was jogging or grocery store or shopping or something. Yeah. And then they went to Facebook, and they found a friend who they contact. Well, who was in the military and knew where I worked. 
So then they came. So they found me there. I was actually out of the office and I got a call, a text from the office, you need to come back. And I'm thinking, it's Thursday. They usually don't fire people on Fridays. You really thought that? You well, thought, was, well, what would they I was really hoping that was the case. You weren't? You wanted to go? <laughs> no, just because the only other thing would oh, be Nigel. Yeah, for course, of course, of course. So, yeah, I went back, and there they were. And then mm. we went down to the hospital where he was working, and we shared the news with Todd. And then we started calling kids and family. And oh, my goodness. It was, it was a hard, hard moment, a hard day. We, military, the Marines flew us back to Dover, Delaware. That's the Air Force base where all the military men and women's bodies are come in to the United States. So... Our plane was supposed to take off, I think, at 10 o'clock that night, Thursday night, but it was delayed two hours. Oh, goodness. So we didn't get out until midnight. We were flying into Atlanta, and the whole time I kept thinking, where are you? Why can't I feel your spirit? I, I've been through this before. I know I should be able to feel your spirit, and I feel and it was more heartbreaking than I think anything I felt before. Um, so we got into um, Dover and they took us out to the tarmac. And I'll let you tell the story from there right now. Okay, so we're standing on the tarmac. They didn't bring Nigel home on a big military plane. Bought him home on a big UPS cargo plane, a big 747. And they had the rear hatch of the plane open <coughs> up, and there was just a body carrier, plaid draped body carrier sitting right there. And there was a couple of young men cleaning up behind there. And they disappeared, and then one one young man, man took his position in parade dress. Uh, right behind the body carrier. So I could see him from the waist up and I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and I'm going, you know, if I if I didn't know my son's body was in the uh, body carrier, I'd swear that was Nigel standing right there. Yeah. And I bent over to Kim and I said, look at that young man standing up there behind the body carrier. That's a spitting image of Nigel. And she looked and he's still standing there and about that time the honor guard came marching out on the field to retrieve the body and I watched them for a moment and when I looked back up he was no longer standing there. So <clears throat> I'll turn the time back over to him. <laughs> so this big scissor lift they had to pick up the body carrier and move it out onto the scissor lift and then it came down onto the tarp. And then they stepped off the scissor lift onto the tarmac, and that was the moment I heard Nigel's voice say, Mom, I've been with my body, but now I'm home. And my gratitude just overflowed at that moment. And I thought, of course, that makes perfect sense. He's been with his body, his spirit's been with his body. and. I'm so grateful to get that tender mercy to know that my that I that that was answered for me because um, I I just couldn't understand why I couldn't feel a spirit and then it was like almost a moment of rejoicing for me yeah. and we felt so much better after the dignified transfer that we told our casualty assistance officer we were going to take him to dinner Oh. <laughs> so he said, well, the Marines will pay for that. And I said, no, we'll pay for that because he'd been with us the whole time. So we went to dinner, and as we're eating, then I turned to Todd and I said, who were you looking at when you told me to look? And he said, well, that, that young man that was standing behind the casket. And I said, Todd, there was no one there. At that point, I realized I'd been looking at my son's spirit. Wished I'd been cognizant enough to tell him I loved him one more time. 
You think he do? I think he did too. And he, that's why he was there. And looking at you and your eye contact, you know, that is so beautiful. We have had such tender, tender mercies with Nigel. Just different flashes of him showing up in our lives mm. and other people's lives. Really? We've heard from, I don't know, three or four Marines that have said, I was doing this or I was doing that, and Nigel was there helping me. So there was one that went on a mission uh, for the, his church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he was in a foreign country, and he said, I was supposed to sing solo, and I was so hoarse that I could hardly even speak. And then I felt Nigel sit by me and tell me, it would be all right. And he said, I got up and I sang beautifully. And as soon as my song was done, the hoarseness came back and I couldn't speak. Are you serious? Or there was another time, there was a young man, his family was our neighbors. We didn't know him very well, but he was serving a mission in Japan. And there was something that was disturbing missionaries. There was almost like an evil spirit yeah. following them. Yeah. And he said Nigel showed up and he showed him which direction to turn and to go to get to a place that was safe. And they hardly even knew each other. Wow. So there are, uh, another example was at the Purple Heart Ceremony at Camp Williams. We were there watching the CO do the presentations and things and, and the Marines are there at parade rest and one of them said I was looking at the CO and then right in front of me was Nigel and he put his hand on my shoulder and told me everything would be okay uh, and, and he just he's, he keeps working you know he just keeps working he's doing a marvelous job where he is now and he lets us know that he hasn't forgotten us mm. and that he knows that he's loved. That is a huge confirmation of comfort, I feel like. Mm -hmm. You know, just to know that other people's lives continue to be touched by him from the other side. Yes. Completely. And that he's still making that phone call to you. <laughs> you know, is. he's just letting you know, Mom, I'm all right. Well, and we started a scholarship in his name oh. at Mountain View High School where he graduated from in Orem. And the first one we gave out in 2010. And we've been giving them out ever since. And they go to a senior. Mm. They get to fill out an application for us. And one of our requirements is that they don't have a scholarship from anyone else. Yeah. Because some kids they, get 20 scholarships. Right, and right. they're just, you know, but we just wanted this a regular dude <laughs> or girl yeah. um, to receive our scholarship. And so we give out $2,500 every year. Wow. Um, so that can help them get started with college. And again, that's because we get to talk about him every year. There's pictures of him and Carlos at the high school. And uh, it. I just love talking about him. What a beautiful way to carry on what he loved also was knowledge. Like, it sounds like he couldn't get enough about what he wanted to, you know, do and learn about. And that he was always at the library and always looking at things. And you're carrying that on with his spirit to these kids who may not have an opportunity else, you know, otherwise. Well, and it's That's nice to so be able to share his story because yes. there's very few, if anyone, still left at the high school that knew Would him. Would know him, yeah. yeah. And so we get to tell his story every year, and we try and make it a surprise scholarship. Yeah. So we work with the counselor. We get to wow. go read all the scholarship applications. The biggest pointer, I suppose, in the application is tell us what patriotism means to you. Oh, my goodness. So we read through those. We, you know, we finally get down to one, and it's not easy because there are some very deserving, great kids that have had some struggles they've had to overcome. Yeah. And that's one of the things is what struggles have you been through? So we base it on those kinds of things and 
oh my gosh, we're just so thrilled every year to pick out someone. We go to the scholarship uh, award ceremony and then they call their name and they're so surprised and we're so happy. <laughs> what now, one year we had a hard time deciding who should get it. Yeah, we had you to, did. We had to give out. You're like, we can't. We can't. Yeah. They were divided. They were both amazing, amazing candidates. So, what a question to ask. You know, tell us about your patriotism and what it's because I feel like, and I maybe have talked to you about this a little bit, but I feel like it has dwindled. I feel like we are not. I don't know. Maybe the next generation is more than I think, but it just feels like there is so much division right now in our country that people are seem to be backing away from being patriotic and I am not. I love I love it. But I I love that you're asking that question and making them think about it. You know? Well, less than 1% of our population, 1% serves in the military right now. Mm-hmm. So most families have no idea what it's like to have someone serving in a foreign country, in Afghanistan, in Syria, wherever they're at, um, you know, these these young men and women, they really give up two lives. They give up the life they were living to go serve in the military. Yeah. And then they give up the life that they would have had had they lived. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're, we're one of very, very few who understand what it's like to lose, um, you know, our loved one in the military. I think right now, since 9-11, there have been only 54 Utah families that have lost a loved one. Wow. And he was so young. He was 21, right? Yes, yes. He didn't even, I mean, he was just starting his life. He really was. And tell me a little bit more about him, because I know just before this, we talked about how he was a tender guy. I mean, he wasn't this... (laughs) <laughs> you know, this, I mean, it was, I'm sure he was muscly and fit and ready to go, but it wasn't. Didn't seem like he was like shoot him up. Let's, you know, he, he wasn't he that was kind of very tender. Yeah, very tender. and very quiet. Which I wouldn't think would be the type to go into the military. You know. Yeah. And he was six foot four. Wow. And I think he weighed 139 pounds. Oh, he, he graduated was, Marine Corps. Yeah, he was, he was he thin. Lost weight. He was thin. So, yeah, he was a skinny kid, but he was a strong kid. Uh, yeah. But uh, in his deployment journal, we got that and his belongings when they were shipped back from uh, Afghanistan. Wow. In a journal, deployment journal, he wrote, uh, it begins, I've been on the plane now for about a half an hour. As I look out the window, I wonder if I'll ever see this country again. And then he wrote, my biggest regret is I've always been so shy but I've never kissed a girl that was his biggest regret yes. they hadn't kissed a girl yes. <laughs> oh my gosh he's the he sweetest thing show up at church on Sundays dressed in his dress blues and oh my goodness he was going to the singles ward oh yeah so and they there were was at- so much attention but I don't think he knew what to do with it <laughs> because oh yeah I'm a guy in uniform mm-hmm. mm, yes well and I'm prejudiced but the he handsome is the best yeah <laughs> yeah so, well okay so he was sweet he, he was, was a sweet guy because he was so shy to not kiss anyone that's so cute I know <laughs> he just and he wrote that down that that's did. his biggest regret yeah yeah so we uh you have to laugh a little bit. Yeah. Just say, you know, it's nice to have a son that was so clean and pure and devoted to his belief system. Yeah. Um, at his memorial service in Afghanistan, they had a couple of speakers. One of them said, if there was a vote taken today, Olson would be voted the kindest man out here. And as far as a mother goes, that is way more than any medal that they could have awarded him. Because it's true, he he would get packages from home and he would share them with everyone. Uh, when he was in 29 Palms, which is incredibly hot during the summer, they were there for three months as they prepared to go out of country, um, they had 
a number of practices and different things in there. I guess there was a big sand hill and the person in charge, the corporal said, okay, whoever gets to the top first gets a cold drink. And so he made it to the top. He was first. And um, they said, they think he got just one drink out of that because he shared it with everyone yeah, else. Everybody else. <laughs> Who is this kid? <laughs> we have wow. actually a recording, thankfully, of him calling us on Christmas Day. Um, their platoon had a bridge had broken over a river and they couldn't make it back to base. And they couldn't get through the village to go around because the roads were too narrow. So they were stuck. And they ended up, the more they tried to get out, the more the deep they got with their tires. And there was Apache helicopters kind of flying over to let the Taliban know they're being watched over. Yeah. But anyway, and the engineers who usually build bridges were also stuck on the other side. But anyway, they finally got them across the bridge. And from what I understand, he let everyone else use the satellite phone first. He said, because you all have wives and kids. Oh. So by the time he called us, we weren't home. We'd mm. gone to family to celebrate. Um, but again, I have his voice, I have his recording. He says, Merry Christmas. And it's just nice every now and then to hear his voice and then remember why he didn't call. And it was because he was making sure everyone else, he was the last to use the phone. The phone. There was another example of his birthday was January 20th. He had turned 21 when he was in Afghanistan. And one of the sergeants uh, wrote this story for me, but he said it was dark and windy and cold early in the morning and he had to set out the mess for the guys and clean up the other and he was just wondering why he was there it was so miserable he said and in the dark and the cold Nigel bumped into him and he said Olson you just got off a mission you know go hit the rack and he's been on guard duty yeah since that mission so he hadn't slept at all and and Nigel said, well, let me help you, Sarge. He goes, no, I can't have a Lance Corporal helping me. <laughs> and he said, in the dark and the quiet, he just helped me clean up, didn't say another word. And he said, why are you doing this, Olson? And he said, well, because today's my birthday, and I would rather spend it helping a fellow, a brother. So this kid had a heart of gold. <laughs> I am telling you, oh, my goodness. So you know, we, we have such great memories from other people. Yeah. Of course, we never got to hear his stories because as far as we were concerned, he was parked in the Kmart parking lot because <laughs> he never said anything. But we've yeah. been able to hear stories about him from his Marine brothers. And In fact, on YouTube, there's a, a video that we have seen where, you know, the light armored vehicles, LAVs, uh, they weren't heavily protected. I mean, they would be taken out with, you know, an IED and stuff like that. Wow. So they had, what they are, an amphibious vehicle. They'll, they'll actually propel across water and stuff like that. Well, these are supposed to. They, they were yeah. supposed to. But yeah. when they put the extra armor in there, it made them too heavy. Oh, dear. And uh, one of his sergeants ordered the LAB into the river. To get across it, the river. It was, it was a swollen river. It was, it was bloody. Even though... And, and yeah. you sit there, and pretty soon you see people popping out the hatches on the top. And the water's coming up around the, the driver. The water's coming up around, and the driver actually pops out the top. <laughs> mm -hmm. And is driving it with his feet in the side of the cab and, and stuff, and finally it just stalls. Oh, dear. And the sergeant has jumped off the, the vehicle and swimming. Doesn't care about the rest of the guys <laughs> and stuff like that. What? But you're watching a video, and then you see the back door of the LAV push against the current, and out comes our son. And what? He Everybody dropping f bombs. Yes. I gotta say that. <laughs> and he could have easily drowned in the back of that as it was filling up with water, but he was able to push against the current. And then you see him coming up the ladder, and his glasses are chocolate covered because of so the mud, muddy brown water. But he has a smile on his face. 
<laughs> he's just sitting there hanging on the antenna, smiling. Yeah. What on earth? <laughs> I know. He's probably about. He this is it. fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is a new thing. We haven't done this yeah, before. This yeah. is fun. <laughs> and wow, I just think he went straight to heaven. <laughs> he did. What a good man. What a good soul. Our our letters that say, you know, he was again the nicest man out here. He took me under his wing. He did this, he did this. Even in boot camp, there was a young man there that was struggling through boot camp. And so he took his weekends that were supposed to be off, and he stayed with this young man and helped him study, study. so that he could pass the tests and get through. What? And the drill sergeant didn't want this young man to go forward because he had a hair lip and he didn't speak well. Oh. And Nigel was always looking out for the underdog. Yeah. I think. He had a whole group of amazing friends that um, still to this day come and see us. They do? Mm-hmm. Especially one. He he comes once a month. He comes on Mother's Day. He comes on Christmas. He just is our son. He's just our son. We've adopted him. And Who's he's, that, Jeremiah? Yes. He that comes is, all the time. He, he does. does. Yeah, he wants to go fishing. He wants to watch a movie with us. He helps us with things around the yard he's just stepped right in and he is uh he's just so choice he's what so a choice. sweetheart what yes. a sweet thing for you yeah oh i'm so <laughs> glad to get to know nigel a little bit more i mean we did bears 10 years ago right we so did it was been right after he yes. passed yes i sent you his shirt his civilian shirt the last time we saw him alive, he was wearing that shirt. Mm-hmm. And so you did that, and it's been sitting on our our yeah. bed stand um, all these years. And then, and then <laughs> we had his all of his uniforms, his Marine uniforms. Yeah. And his fatigues, said, right? There, is that yeah, what they're his called? fatigues, yeah. yeah. And so we just brought those up to you. I know. And now we have bears for each of the kids. And for his friend that comes to see us all the time, he'll get one for Christmas. And we are so excited to give Mm -hmm. these, um, especially because they have his name on it. They have Marine on it. They're his fatigues that he wore. um, And they're just, well, they're priceless. That's what they are. Those bears are priceless. Well, I love doing them. And I, I remembered, I think, from 10 years ago, but then there's, Yes. few people that come and go, you know. <laughs> so it's not like we've really kept in touch because hopefully you don't have to come back. That's the thing. I was the, I'm like, please don't have to come call yes. me again. Yes. And so it wasn't another situation. It yes. was just another yes. set of bears, which is good. But yes. yep. I'm just, I am in awe at the goodness of this kid. I mean, 21-year-old. We did something right. Soul. You sure did. I don't know what it wow. was. But yeah. Or maybe it was just him. Did. I think it was just no, him. No, no, no. I, I never heard him swear. No. Ever? Yet, no. Never. And yet, me, it's quite a common occurrence. <laughs> well, you know, we all have swear. our things. It's okay. It's okay. In fact, very few people. I asked his friend, I he never heard Nigel swear. Oh, my goodness. What a, what a saint. And, you know, really to go into the Marines yeah. and to be in that environment, I mean, I, it would not be, it, it's common, you know, and it's not the worst thing in the world either, but no. but to the fact that he didn't, yeah. it speaks volumes that he didn't do that. Yeah. yeah, and again, it's like I said, he had values that were his, mm-hmm. that he held on to no matter what. Yeah. You know, they'd say in 29 Palms, hey, let's go to the bar. You know, we need to teach you how to drink. And he'd say, hey, I'll drive you if you want, and then I'll just stay in the car. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was accommodating, but he had a line, and he was not about to cross it. So that was, I think, something very special to a lot of people. Yeah. Because I used to tease him a little bit in the Marines at first, and then they became where they admired him because he did stand his ground, and he did believe in what he believed, and... Nobody was going to change his mind or coerce him into doing something he didn't feel was right. Yeah. For him. Yeah. One of the sergeants that lives here in Warren was talking one day about uh, 29 Palms. Sent them at 117 degrees. What? They're out there hiking in the mountains. Uh, 
with full battle gear on, which is no about forty pounds. Forty. Forty pounds 40 or more, depending yeah. on their flak jackets and their backpacks and yeah. stuff like that. It can be a lot more than that. Wow. And he sits there. He was just hating life. He was just hating life. He looks over at Nigel and Nigel just calm. <laughs> Finally, they see a shady spot, so they go hiking over there up this hill and walk in there. And he just Sergeant just collapsed on the ground. He says, and here comes Olson. He says, smiling. He <laughs> says, Olson, you having a good time? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, he, he just oh. loved the experience. Yeah. And he dreamed about it all his life. He lived it. And, and he did it. Yeah. Yep. We're very proud of him and so grateful that we had the 21 years with him. Mm-hmm. What would you say, since you've had loss, big loss, what would you say has helped you the most if you can pinpoint it? Or you know, I things. don't think that people can get through these kinds of losses without the support of family. Mm. And for us, it's been our belief in a hereafter that we know where he's at, that he's busy, that our boys are probably great friends. Yeah. Um, and they're busy doing the Lord's work. Um, even the Marines, who still contact me on Mother's Day and say, you know, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. A lot of them call me Mom. Um, I'm just that support, you know, and Todd um, is a, my biggest supporter, mm-hmm. I think. And we've cried together, we've screamed together, we've we've been unhappy and we've been thrilled all together. But we have each other's back, and um, I got the bruise marks to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I just the other thing I think is that people need to realize their grief that it's not something you can put aside and pretend it's not there um, you can't go around it you have to go through it yeah. yeah and you have to experience the loss and the heartache and the grief and then when you get through that you're able to start coming into the light again and the joy and instead of grieving now we feel joy for the life he lived for the years we had with him and for what he stood for. Um, so for us, that's been good. I, I started a Gold Star family page of Utah and I post the anniversaries of the deaths in Utah, military deaths, and due to accidents, illnesses, suicides, mm-hmm. we have over 250 a year. A year mm-hmm. from Utah. Oh my goodness! Um, and that—that's a forum for people to communicate and talk and post and grieve and together. Grieve together. Yeah. And, um, yeah. We're a big part of the Gold Star family. I'm so glad. Family, and we get together occasionally um, and just reunite. And it's kind of special organization that nobody wants to be part of. Right. Right. And none of us knew each other's loved one who died but they have become our family and we have become their family as we go through this process of grieving so when a new person comes in mm. you know they can be surrounded by love and by people who don't have to say gosh I know how you feel without knowing how they feel and to the men who have just retired from this organization what is it called? the SOS the SOS Leland and, uh, and uh, Steve Hackey, they both lost their children. They both each lost, lost a son. son. Wow. And we didn't know it. And they weren't military losses. They were, you know, killed in civilian life and stuff like that. Right. And the fact of it is, it gets me through there is life is life. And there's a lot of us out there that have lost children. You know, I'm glad mine went the way he did. It wasn't through drug abuse and things sure. like that. He did what he, he died doing what he loved, but uh, it doesn't make it any easier than loss. But there, we're not alone. There's a lot of people out there who lost children. Yeah, I've lost family members they love. So I think I might have told you that my parents passed away 53 days apart. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, and just 
You know, we, we actually, he, dad was 90, mom was 87, and we thought, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Together. Together. They, they were together, and so there is, there is a loss in having your parents on the earth. There is a loss. Um, but again, we were so fortunate to have them for so long. Yeah. That yeah. I think at one point in your grieving, you have to start remembering your blessings start remembering the good moments you read these letters from the Marines and you feel oh that's so nice of them to say you know and if you get one or two responses hey he was a good kid you think oh there's being nice yeah but we have time after time after time and I guess you know that too is a great support those stories because there will be no future stories so those stories from the past and from his experience in Afghanistan and and his growing up, um, just precious, precious to us. Yeah. And now we have these more bear stuff. Yeah, more bears. Yeah. So. Oh, an incredible person. Yeah, I'm just so boy. grateful to know him <laughs> a little bit more now. Thanks, Carrie. I I'm so grateful that you'd share this because we do. We all have loss in some way, but... When we, I, I've said this before, but when we share it, I feel like we heal together when we, when we share together. So thank you so much. Oh, it means so you, much Carrie. to yes. have this. What uh, Kim said about the comforter. Yeah. When she was feeling that, it was like, <clears throat> smacked me in the head because, yeah. you know, up until they had his body in their arms, it was just like the worst thing that ever happened. So devastating. But, <clears throat> when uh, they all the under guard had him in his body care in their arm and stuff like that, the spirit of the comforter came in. It's just like wow, you knew everything was just was what was planned. Isn't that God amazing? Has planned it. That confirmation that yeah that and that comfort of yeah. the comforter and the spirit that comes into your heart, knowing it's it's what was supposed anything. to be. I've never changed direction you know and feelings that quickly mm. from total despair to yeah <laughs> the fact that you recognize that too yeah. and remember it is so meaningful so, yeah. so good I'll have to think about that yeah thank you again oh I it just fills oh, my heart you. to know him and to know you more I so, appreciate you being here thank you thank so you. much Thank you so much for joining today. If you or someone you know is grieving and would find comfort in having something to hold on to that is tangible and a part of their loved one's journey, please visit our website, carriebears.com. My book, Something to Hold On To, is also available on my website. These stories of different people in their grief have helped so many find hope. The book also includes a chapter on the making and delivering of the 9-11 carry bears to the FDNY, NYPD, and Port Authority families in New York City. This is Carrie Pike, creator of Carry Bears, wishing you love and laughter, hope and healing.